Hi, everybody. I'm Joshua Danziger. And I'm Ethan Canfield. Today is Thursday, October 20th, 2022. And this is The Young Perspective, where we talk about America's biggest political and social dilemmas from the eyes of two high schoolers. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of The Young Perspective. Recently, or not really recently, but in the past five years during my growing up, it has seemed to me that it is very hard for legislation to get passed through the houses of Congress. Sometimes legislation is proposed in the House and fails in the Senate. Today, we're talking about one reason why legislation is so slowly passed and so seldomly passed through the houses of Congress. Let's uh, have a hypothetical situation in which um, there is a bill and it's on the Senate floor. Democrats, Republicans, they're debating it. They're going back and forth, arguing why it should be passed or shouldn't be passed. And one of the groups doesn't want the bill to be passed. Now, this group is the minority. Let's say that they have 45 members, um, right? In the Senate, you have to have 51 votes to win. And so this is the minority. They would, they would lose when coming to a vote. The, vote uh, the bill would pass when going to vote. However, the filibuster allows these group of people to continue to debate on this issue and to block a vote from happening. And this is the idea of unlimited debate. They can continue to discuss the bill, talk about it for uh, endless amounts of time and go on and go on and go on and go on and stop the vote from happening. And so if the vote never happens, it doesn't matter if they're the minority because the vote will never occur in the first place. So originally it wasn't this way. The, the Senate, you couldn't just debate a bill indefinitely in the Senate. Originally, um, with passing the Constitution, the Senate rules said that um, a simple majority, 50% plus one, so I guess 51 senators, could choose to end the debate whenever they wanted. But in the year 1806, the vice president named Aaron Burr, he uh, convinced Senate to change its rules to eliminate this 50 plus one um, vote to end the debate. So basically in 1806, they, they eliminated this vote to end debate. So debate could go on indefinitely. Right. He believed it was uh, redundant, right? Why are you voting to stop debate and then going to vote again on the vote? He believed that you could just eliminate that and eventually you could just vote on the bill itself. In doing so, this allowed debate to continue on uh, practically uh, forever. And so uh, senators were able to continue discussing, debating, going on and on and on and putting off, preventing the vote for as long as they wanted and practically tabling the bill in itself, never getting to a vote. And this became known as the concept of the filibuster. Obviously, in the 19th century, it became a problem. Debates were just going on forever because the minority group, you know, there was no way to, to really end the debate until everybody wanted to come um, and, and have a vote, things were being dragged to, dragged on too long in the Senate. So in 1917, the Senate adopted Rule 22, which allowed the Senate to stop the debate with a two-thirds majority vote. This is called the cloture de, the, the cloture vote, um, or when cloture is enacted, that means debate that means debate has been stopped from a vote. This happened in 1917 because the president at the time, President Woodrow Wilson, was really really pissed off. Because he didn't think the Senate was doing as much as they should have. So I actually have a quote here. He says, he said, the Senate of the United States is the only legislative body in the whole world which cannot act when its majority is ready for action. 
A little group of willful men representing no opinion but their own have rendered the great government of the United States helpless and contemptible. And he outlines the great challenge with the with the with the filibuster. We'll get there. But before we get there, I must you know, add on that in 1917, the cloture vote was two thirds majority to stop debate in 1974. 1974, that cloture majority was changed to three-fifths, so from two-thirds to three-fifths. So that means, and that's what stands today, for debate to end, three-fifths of, of senators must you know, vote cloture, and that means 60 senators out of 100 must choose to end debate. And this really brings up the, the, the challenge Woodrow Wilson was talking about. It takes you know, just 40 senators, 40 out of 100, can stop the bill from being voted on. And, you know, Wilter Wilson is saying the Senate can't get anything done at this point. The Senate is not as powerful and it doesn't represent the American people. The representatives representing the majority of American people aren't able to get anything done because, you know, 40 senators can stop a vote from being passed. So how has the filibuster actually been used um, since the Rule 22 was passed in 1917 and then it was changed in 1974. It was, you know, used sparingly every once in a while when it was deemed that this needed to occur, that something was so horrible or that something was so against what a senator believed that they felt that they needed to filibuster to stop it. Um, however, in recent years, um, it's become more and more used. As the In the last decade, as our country has become more partisan, Democrats and, Republic, and Republicans have found little compromise. They're, uh, they're, they have resorted to the filibuster more frequently. And so, and actually, since 1917, there have been about 2,000 filibusters used, and about half of them have been used only in the last 12 years. So massive, massive amounts of filibusters are being used uh, in recent years on an unprecedented scale. So what does the filibuster actually look like? We talked about how you know senators can stop a, a vote from happening by just continuing debate. But what this usually looks like is senators of the minority party or, you know, the minority group who's not supporting um, a bill that's on the floor in the Senate. They can basically take the stand and not leave the stand. So uh, I actually one of my earliest childhood memories, I think it must have been six or seven, was that there was some this was in the, in the Texas state Senate rather than the, in the, the federal Senate. Um, but there was a vote going on about some woman's rights issue here in Texas. And the 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 woman of the minority party, I think it was the Democrats at the time, they, you know, some woman was elected uh, by the party or, you know, chosen by the party to be the one woman who's going to filibuster. So she took the stand and she stood for like at 21 hours and, and the requirement that she was supposed to stand for 24 hours and, and the, the debate would be tabled, but she didn't, you know, she didn't make it. She only stood for 21 hours, but that's what, that's what a filibuster often looks like. Senators will take the stand and just talk talk about the issue. And often they can talk about other issues too, because nobody can force them to leave the stand. So there's been famous filibusters, where, and especially on the state level, where senators will be reading a children's book to the committee. And some of the rules of some of the different state senates is uh, you can't leave. So somebody can't go up to go to the bathroom. Um, the person on the, on the stand can't go to the bathroom. So if you're filibustering for 24 hours, it's, it gets very hard. You can't eat other rules. So filibuster is a drawn out debate, which doesn't even have to be pertinent to the topic at hand. Right. So the longest example of the filibuster was in 1957 uh, when South Carolina Senator Strom Thurmond, uh, who was opposing the Civil Rights Act of 1957, he filibustered for more than 24 hours. This is a prime example of a senator being able to take the stage and delay debate for a very, very long amount of time and delay 
and put off voting because they're in the minority and know that they're going to lose. So the real challenge of the filibuster and the, and the real challenge, you know, we're going to end off this episode debating a little bit about is, is the question, is it right for the, for the minority of 40 senators to be able to determine the future of a bill? How I see it is that the Senate's purpose is to pass legislation, uh, right? They are a branch of the legislative government. So it's their job to pass legislation, to create new laws, uh, and to provide for the American public. So this means that the filibuster is prohibiting them, prohibiting them from doing so. In recent years, the Senate has become stagnant. They're not passing laws. Uh, the filibuster is preventing either the Democrats, or the Republicans, whoever is in the majority that year from, from passing laws. And because it has polarized our, our, our Senate so much, everyone, any chance that, that a group can get to use the filibuster, they are using it. That, is not, that wasn't really the main purpose of the filibuster in the first place. It has become more polarized and has been used in more partisan ways in the past 10 years than it's used ever in the past. So it's basically stopping our Senate from doing its purpose. In addition, this also gives more power to the executive branch, right? In recent years, when the Senate has been able, has been, has been stalled, they haven't been able to pass laws because of the filibuster, the president has been able to enact orders. And so this is actually creating more power in one end of the, uh, of the government and is, un- and is creating an unbalance in our, an imbalance in our government. The House was established, created to represent the people of the United States, but the Senate was not established to represent the people, Ethan. It wasn't established to represent the majority of the American public to represent, you know, 50 plus, you know, 51 percent of of Americans in total population. The Senate was established to represent the interests of the state. The goal of the Senate was that Rhode Island could have the same say in legislation as California, even though California's population is many times that of Rhode Island. So even though the filibuster may silence the vote of the majority of the American public by letting you know a small uh, you know minority um, have some say, it, it doesn't matter. That's not the point of the Senate. The point of the Senate is that minority groups, Rhode Island, you know, minority states with with not such big populations, still have a say. And the real value of of of, of giving the minority opinion um, a bit of power is it forces the majority opinion to work across the aisle. In, in, in our modern political reality, every time the election comes around, both parties are talking about we need to win the House and we win, need to win the Senate. Why? They want to win both houses because if they win both houses, they can easily pass their legislation. Everybody just wants to easily pass their legislation. But if they don't win both parts of the bicameral Congress, then they're forced to compromise. And the, the value of giving the minority opinions of power is it forces the majority opinion to compromise. That is the real goal of the Houses of Congress. It's that we can build legislation that not only the majority will like, but that also the minority will like. And giving the minority minority a little bit of power forces the majority to go out of their way, to stop, to not just pass bills very quickly, to stop, to think, and think about how we can open that tent to maybe some minority opinion too. Josh, you mentioned that uh, the Senate's purpose was to represent the, the states, not just the individual publics, right? That's the purpose of the House to represent the populations uh, of the states rather, the, the, rather than the Senate, which is its goal is to make uh, equal playing field for all states, regardless of their size. But even so, when representing the states as a whole, the filibuster is still creating an imbalance of power when it's giving my, uh, you know, a minority of states, a small group of states that may have an idea that, it, you know, is not the majority opinion. It's allowing them to decide the fate of the 
of every other state of you know the entire U.S. Um, and so while it's while it's still important to give voice and equal voting and equal representation for all states, why should they be able to effectively stop voting and put a uh, and and table a bill before it even gets to be voted on by by the rest of the, of, of all the of all the other states? But you talk about you know that a small minority can can stop a bill can filibuster, but the way it actually turns out in in the real life especially now where our Senate is 50-50, um, is a large minority will, will want you know, to, to, to continue debate. Um, so in that large minority can be over 40 senators. It may be 45 or 47 or 49 senators that want to, to, ta- to table the debate or to, to keep discussing the topic. So I think it's really hard to disregard the opinions of a, of a very, very large minority. There's a concept called utilitarianism, and this is, I'm going to read the definition. It's a doctrine that an action is right insofar as it promotes happiness, the greatest happiness of the greatest number of people, right? Utilitarianism says if the majority is happy, then what you're doing has to be right. And you're applying the same idea to, 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 the, you know, to build and, and, and to the Senate. You're saying if the majority of, of, of even you know, 51% is happy with a bill, then that bill is ultimate right. But that's not true. If the majority of the Roman public was okay with with man killing man in the Colosseum for public entertainment, that doesn't make it okay. And and the same needs to be applied to to the you know to the Senate. The minority opinion can be the right opinion, but without some process of slowing down, some processing, some process of ensuring there is debate, the minority opinion will not be heard. It will be silenced, even a large minority opinion. I do agree, Josh, that a debate um, and the minority opinion is important. Compromise is always uh, important, right? We shouldn't just be accepting what uh, a majority of people believe. There's still, you know, the minority opinion is still very important. We want uh, our government to debate from uh, to debate and try and come to uh, trying to come to a solution that works best for you know the, the largest amount of Americans as possible. However, the filibuster doesn't doesn't actually uh, doesn't actually in practice doesn't actually do this. A study in 2022 found that in 2007, Senate Republicans actually uh, when they increased the use of the filibuster, there was an immediate 14 percent decrease in debate. And then over three, the next three legislative sessions, that uh, that decrease increased to 28 percent. There was 28 percent decline in debate. So actually, instead of fostering more debate and more compromise it's actually doing the opposite it's decreasing debate because what ends up happening is when you have uh, a minority that's a large minority it has you know a 41 votes they can basically just do a silent vote uh, a silent filibuster what they can do is they can threaten to filibuster and in doing so they can fairly just table they can basically they can uh, effectively just table the bill they can say we're going to filibuster if this happens and then basically everyone just gives up and moves on and tries to just, and does and does something else. There is no compromise. This the filibuster creates more partisanship, and in the end, you aren't. And then in the end, you're now not only helping the majority, but you're not also, but you're also not helping the minority. No one is helped out. And really, the the worst the people who lose in this situation is the American public. You know, I think the most interesting part about the filibuster, and you look at its its. You know, popularity on the on the national political um, conversation over the years. The filibuster is often a topic of conversation among 
the ruling party, the party that controls the executive branch or controls one or two houses of Congress, right? You know, often the filibuster is talked about where the majority, the majority party wants to eliminate it so they can consolidate more power for themselves and get more of their agenda done. So, you know, and I'm not saying, you know, you made some valuable arguments. Does it foster national, does it foster real compromise? And then those are questions I, I'm not qualified to answer. But my question, you know, really turns, turns to when trying to get rid of something like the filibuster, why are you doing it? Are you doing it to further your own agenda? Or are you doing it because, you, you know, it, it, it's not productive for the country? This is going to bring a close to this week's episode of Young Perspective. We hope you all enjoyed listening and remember to tune in next week at the same time. Uh, we also want to remind you to check out our website, theyoungperspective.net, where you can find all of our videos and extra content. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And remember, this was The Young Perspective. Oh, wow. That was a fire episode. That was the best, ep- that was the best episode we've had in maybe months. <laughs>